and welcome back to Soundboard. This is already the fifth episode of the podcast, which is fucking crazy. I can't believe it's already here. This is this is so exciting. Uh, <laughs> part of why I'm so jazzed is that we get to welcome D. Matthew Byer onto the show today. Now, Drew is a local Chicago playwright and fiction writer who's been doing some really, really cool work uh, in, in, in both those capacities recently. He's coming out with a show called Down the Rocky Road and All the Way to Bedlam later this month. Actually, later this week, so you guys should go see it. It's supposed to be very, very cool. I, for one, am, am thrilled to not only hear about it, to but to you know get ready to go see it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go see it. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> uh, but one of the reasons why I'm very excited to have Drew on the show is that we get to talk about some of what goes behind and goes into the work of the theater. Now, what interests me specifically about our conversation today is that we have the chance to talk about how theater presents interdisciplinary opportunities for people to be coordinating with one another. I mean, I think by necessity, people have to be tuned into one another on, on many different levels and many different ways uh, in order for a production to really pull through successfully. We talk a lot today about some of the other challenges that go into writing uh, enormous product projects like this and, and what goes into uh, connecting with the people who can really help make these things possible. So as young artists uh, starting to collaborate more and as young people trying to really take seriously the responsibilities we have as independent adults, uh, it's been very exciting to talk with Drew about some of these questions, uh, especially in an artistic and creative context. So please join me in welcoming D. Matthew Byer onto the show. <laughs> Drew, welcome. Hey, Austin. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course. Thank you for coming. Yeah, yeah. So you've got some really exciting projects coming up. And for everyone listening, I just want to hear a couple of details about what's going on with Bedlam. Okay. Yeah. So um, I guess I should introduce myself. Yeah, I'm, please. Uh, professionally known as D. Matthew Byer. I'm a Chicago-based playwright and uh, hopefully a prose fiction writer, though that is not going super well at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. And my play, Down the Rocky Road and All the Way to Bedlam, which has quite a title, um, is opening at Otherworld Theater on the 5th. That is the press opening, so I guess it's technically a preview. But the um, opening is uh, the following evening, uh, mm. Friday, April 6th. Mm. And then it runs through May 13th um, at Knox Arca on uh, Irving and Ravenswood, I believe. It's right off the Irving Park brown line. Um yeah, and it, it runs for a while. Tickets are pay what you can. Uh, the nice. suggested donation is twenty dollars. Yeah, of course. But um, you know, we we are much more interested in showing the work to people and getting it out there. Right. And like you know, I I definitely think that the work that these actors are doing and that ever, like our designers are doing and mm -hmm. our director did and everything like it's definitely worth twenty bucks. Like, <laughs> definitely worth twenty bucks for this ninety minute show. Um, but you know, if that's untenable, like yeah. 10, 15, 5 even. Yeah, like, yeah. We are just much more interested in getting the work out there. Right that's now. that's very cool to hear. Uh, we've done a lot of work both at Motley and just you know individually with hosting like 
house shows. Yeah. So by that I mean, you know, like the DIY scene with having bands come through. Yeah. You book two or three bands and then they play and then everyone just has a good time and a party, right? Yeah. And for those, we generally, you know, there's been a couple of opportunities where we've had to charge admission because we want to pay the bands. But yeah, obviously. You know, at, at, at many other points, it's just been hey, can you play a venue and then can you come over to my house and play and yeah. we're going to have a great time with everybody. You know, those are just such fulfilling events. Yeah. You know, and, and of course it's a challenge between balancing how do you start, you know, paying people because you yeah. need to because that's really, that's really important. That's work. You know, you need to have that going. But um, it's cool to hear that the priority for you guys is a really healthy mix of those two yeah. needs. Yeah. So that that's awesome. Now I haven't really heard much about Otherworld, or is it Otherworld? Otherworld, yeah, yeah. all one word, Otherworld. Yeah, um, there you can find them on like Twitter, Facebook, basically any social media. Um, they're really blowing up actually right now. Mm. Um, they're a local. I think five years started by a whole bunch of friends from Colombia. Um, uh, Tiffany Schaefer, uh, Dylan Schaefer, her husband, Mary Kate Arnold, uh, Kai Young, Christian Isley, a bunch of Otherworld. Uh, people all from Colombia, they made this science fiction theater company, oh, wow. science fiction and fantasy. It is the only one in Chicago. Um, I don't know if it's the only one in the world, but it's it's very unique. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to make that statement in yeah, case yeah. I'm wrong. But um, <laughs> they're right now operating out of Knox. Like as of right now, they are moving into the old public house space oh, wow. on Clark. Uh, they had a big donation push for that, to make that into the world's first uh, venue dedicated yeah. to live science fiction and fantasy performance, which is really cool. They have like mock-ups on their website of what oh. it's gonna look like renovated. It's very beautiful, it's great. And also just like, the other world uh, people are great. They're awesome, they're yeah. just genuinely passionate about everything that they do. They're huge nerds in the best possible way. Oh, man. They just love science fiction, love fantasy with like that childlike joy and wonder mm. that, you know, in our super cynical, jaded modern world, it's yeah. rare to meet people who just genuinely love something with their whole heart and like have thrown their souls into doing it and creating it. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think that you should check them out. Um, if you haven't heard of them, like come see Bedlam, come see one of their other shows later. They do a, a film festival. No, um, very cool. Uh, Juggernaut Film Festival. It's in June, I believe. Gates McFadden, um, mm. Beverly Crusher from Next Generation is going to be hosting it, which is like huh. pretty exciting uh, in the, the world of geekdom. <laughs> um, and I know I mentioned this earlier before we were, rec we were recording, but Tiffany also... Uh, is spearheading uh, a LARP company, I guess, technically, called, I think it's Moonrise Games. If I'm wrong, I apologize, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but they do a thing called Chronicles of the Realm, which is this big, grand uh, fantasy LARP, live yeah. action role play game, that, you know, draws just, it's a LARP, so it draws some weird people, including me. But um, <laughs> it's a really great time, and it's also like something that's very unique. Um, like oh, yeah. there aren't really games like that in in Chicago at all mm. um, and so it's like this weird intersection of like immersive theater game design geek culture like fantasy stuff it's very interesting just the blend of things that Otherworld is kind of like put into a centrifuge and is taking something yeah. out of it's really interesting they're cool as a context I feel like that's that's such a rich environment to be drawing from in terms of your your work because I mean being surrounded by that kind of energy is going to 
probably only lead to like really exciting things. And, and so, I, I, you know, I want to hear how you feel about, you know, a lot of different things, obviously. But, yeah. but part of it is coming out of the university setting, coming yeah. out of an institutional setting, and then walking around in the world and being like, okay, how do I start building my own world? How do I start building yeah. my work? And the fact that you've entered this space and are working with these people is very exciting, Drew. I'm thrilled to hear that. Thanks, man. So yeah, it's really um, I am very very grateful and very I, lucky. You know, is the word that I feel like a lot of people would use. But it's also a matter of like finding your 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 tribe yeah, in yeah. a sense because there are you know there. Are, theater companies everywhere in Chicago. There's a new right, one like right. every day, um, basically. <laughs> and, and a lot of them kind of unfortunately fold pretty quickly. But and mm. so, but it is a matter of like balancing work, audience, people you know. like. And so the, the, the great thing about working with Otherworld is that they have this like, we all have this shared passion yeah. for what we are doing. And not only at the project level, mm. which is, I feel like that happens more often. Right. That like at a, individual project level like when because you know in the theater you work with a lot of people like yeah. once or twice and then sometimes you never see them again <laughs> um and it's so it's like so that kind of stuff happens but here it's like not only is everyone enthusiastic about bedlam and working on bedlam they're just filled with a genuine enthusiasm for every facet of mm. science fiction and so it really is like it like i said finding your tribe and that really what it is what it feels like it's yeah. like I have come into this space in which, into which I was invited um, because they kind of tested out uh, Bedlam as a reading before they did it as a performance, and mm. I, I had at that point I had made friends with all of them yeah. uh, through through you know I did a, another festival with them Paragon and that I kind of met some of them but not really and then. I did uh, a show with them where I was the voice of a robot, which was kind of fun. I was like the voice of a phone, like a basically future Siri oh, um, called uh, Eden of Omicron Setai. And then after we did that, that was how like I really got to know um, them more because that was like after the first Chronicles of the Realm game, which my friend yeah. Lauren dragged me to, and then I had a really good time at, and so I got to meet <laughs> everyone there. And it was weird because I met all of them as characters before I met them as humans. Oh, that's awesome. so that was like an interesting disconnect. But it yeah. is like at a very like overarching level, mm. the other world people are just create this environment of just love for what they do oh. and it's the love that and it's a love that I share yeah. and appreciate and enjoy and it's like it's really a powerful thing to be in a room or to just like talk to people who you know care about the things that you care about right and you know especially when it is something that's like weird like quirky science fiction like cyberpunk whatever I'm doing um, <laughs> you know like it's kind of weird so it's like this sort of thing that you show you know some people who might be like, what, what is this? Why did you think of this? Mm. Why is there a needle in a robot's eye? Um, <laughs> but you know, and then it's cool to be in a space where people just come together and create this work and let this like over soul of science fiction take hold of us. It's really great. Oh my God. I'm so excited to hear that, man. That's like speaking on the conceptual level, finding finding opportunities to be pursuing those kinds of interests like yeah. the kind of creative interests that this is not just like i think i like what you said about the project level because i think it's really easy or it's at least a little bit easier to have some kind of shared vested interest yeah. in specific instances yeah. right and it makes sense but when you have 
companions, when you have a cohort, when you have, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of another word for this, and, and I, I think companions and partners is even another yeah. word I would use, right? When you have partners with similar needs, with similar interests, and with similar drives from what it sounds like, you all sound like you're working so hard. Yeah. That is life-giving. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's also the thing that, you know, um, I, I want to say I'm, I'm quoting one of my, like, former professors, but maybe I just assume this is something he said because it sounds like something he would have said. But it's like the thing that you can't make people do is care about something that they don't care about. Mm. You can't force someone to care. <laughs> and so, you know, I've worked in situations on creative projects and otherwise where it was, you know, people were doing the work because it was what they had to do right. or what they were compelled to do. A classroom setting, think about that. Like we've all done projects or compelled. whatever that we didn't want yeah. to participate in. <laughs> and you know, working as, a, as, as an assistant director or whatever with actors who don't want to be in the room, like that's a barrier that I can't get past. Like there's right. nothing you can do to break someone out of that. Like you can make, it's like you can make a good you can make a like mediocre actor good if they want to be pushed there mm -hmm. you can't make a good actor care about something that they just like don't want to do yeah and so it's so i just find it so much more gratifying to go into spaces and just be surrounded by people mm -hmm. who you can feel like the electricity of their excitement they just want to go oh. and do and create together and it's really really cool Wow, um, and I mean, it is one of the great things about Chicago is there are so many like niche communities because like yeah. Otherworld, a science fiction theater company. There's a you know uh, a theater company that's devoted to uh, Babes with Blades. One of our actors works with them. It's like devoted to Babes, women, and stage combat. Blades. It's awesome. <laughs> so it's like there are all these small theater companies that you can really find your place, like yeah. your sort of artistic commune which is really i think personally is very important yeah. in you know something that is like writing or any sort of creative process because you are you know ripping your soul open and putting it out for people to see right and like that that support system of, of being lifted up by other people's enthusiasm is like yeah. very important i think oh oh absolutely absolutely the way that i've felt working with motley and in in with many of the other people we've met through some of the work that we've done yeah. so far, it's been, it, it feels like an electric bristling. Like my mind is bristling. My heart is bristling. My soul is, yeah. my soul is on fire when I'm talking about these things, not to be overdramatic or like paint too broadly with a brush here, but that's literally what it feels like, you know, and, and regardless of what other kinds of work that we need to do in order to pay the bills, yeah. in order to make some of the material, satisfy some of the material needs we have as people, as flesh, yeah. right? You need As a walking meat sex. Right. You gotta you gotta go to the bathroom sometimes, you gotta have a shower, you yeah. you need those things, right? But needs of the meat puppet. Yeah. <laughs> messing with you. A big part of it though is thinking, you know, on on this is a little silly, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, where you're you're near the top and you need to self-actualize yeah you need to spiritually manifest yourself in the world and when your spirit is animating your matter yeah that leads you into great strength um 
So I did an episode of the podcast with Andy Warren Jepson. I love Andy. He's from Wisconsin. He's a, uh, he, wor- he works in uh, both the visual and uh, musical realms, right, as an artist in Racine, Wisconsin. He's just a beautiful person. But I love talking about Andy, first of all, and I also love talking about some of what he and I have already talked about, which is thinking about how in working creatively, it's never just like this mere facet of production. Yeah. You are never just producing something inert. This is something that is living. And through your pursuit of it, you are giving it breath. And in doing that, you know, as an extended point, you are also very much working on who you are as a person. Oh, 100%. It's also, you know, I, I personally am of the belief that, you know, every work of art, even like our curation of ourselves, our, the personalities that we have created is borrowed piecemeal from right. the people we meet. We're like mosaic patterns. You take a little mm. bit from this person, a little <laughs> bit from this person, and then you build the mosaic of you um, through art and, and, you know, whatever experience you have. But also like, I feel like that happens in creative processes. Like when you're working on a new project and like a bit of this person you meet enters into it or like this thing you overheard at the coffee shop that was weird and funny and like completely out of context but you just take it and you put it somewhere right and it's like those intersections of life and art like i don't think that it's super intentional all the time Mm. but it just is a facet everything you write you create is going to be influenced by your experience right and by the thing and a lot of our experience is interpersonal. Yeah, like we yeah, don't yeah, yeah. exist in a vacuum. There's that kind of, you know, myth of the brooding artist, like in an <laughs> attic writing by candlelight. But like even that hypothetical platonic ideal of like the Gothic artist has to eat sometimes, right. has to interact with the product of other people's hands. Yep. Um, and so, you know, like, yeah, self-reliance is possible, but it's like not really in our ever connected modern world like we're Mm. never 100% alone which is kind of terrifying but also kind of you know reassuring in a way right this is this is an interesting point to talk about specifically you know considering there's a couple of different levels I want to talk about this on the first one is thinking about how as social creatures where do we start drawing the lines between you know pursuing art for art's sake or pursuing art for the sake of like literally paying the bills yeah you know you have to have some of those goals in mind right the other level i want to talk about is your experience as a playwright because when i hear you talk about space and when i hear you talk about really integrating your experience in the way that you're representing yourself both physically as well as uh vocally you know that to me strikes a really really interesting balance okay so i want to hear your thoughts on Let's go. Let's go to the first one. So, okay, how do you feel about being a playwright right now, and and do you identify as someone who's doing that professionally, exclusively, even? Uh, I mean, I do identify as a playwright. Um, I am not at the level um, or the establishment yet to really say that it is the only thing I do. Right, I, right. You know, that's that's just not. I, I'm, I'm like I'm like eight months out of school. It's not <laughs> yeah, feasible. Right, like, man. The, the, the theater has been dying for thousands of years. Like it's not this. Like it's not the movie biz or anything where there's a ton of money in it. It's it's driven by this intense passion and this desire to create, right. um, which is really cool because 
it, sort of theater is, for lack of a better word, it's a losing game. Mm. Um, the art for art's sake is very pronounced in the theater because if people didn't love theater, if the people creating the stuff were not driven by genuine enthusiasm and just unequivocal love for the art form and mm. the craft, it wouldn't exist. Because like <laughs> theater for for like living, like money theater is yeah. like The Goodman, Steppenwolf, mm. New York, and that's like it. There's everything else is small and indie and weird and it's like, you know, bunch of people from Colombia come together and make a science fiction fantasy theater company because they're huge nerds who really <laughs> want to share their nerddom with the world. But that's like that's really really I think encouraging as yeah. an artist to be in this place where, you know, there are all these opportunities like um I mentioned this before we recorded, but like me and my friend Dan, Dan mm. Sonnenberg, uh, who's a great sketch comedian, um, like we did a pirate improv show. <laughs> we just had a like a fifth of rum and we pretended to be pirates for an hour. Oh. It was amazing. And that's the kind of thing that you can do. Mm. And like, sure, did we make money at that? No. But it was a great time. And it was a, like very wholesome and encouraging artistic experience yeah. just to get to do that yeah. um, but I mean of course the, the looming specter of like oh man will I ever be enough to completely finance my life with art is always hanging over all of us but I feel like feel like there is a balance and there's a yeah. line to be drawn Yeah. and also I, I, I generally think that the people who are making their living at Especially like literature, theater, film a little less so because film is a giant machine. But um, <laughs> at some level, I think that every working artist, you can see something that mm. is obviously art for art's sake in them. Yeah. I don't, I, maybe this is like weirdly optimistic for me, but I don't, I don't think that people, especially artists are as you know mercenaries sell out you know as people sometimes want to think right, right i feel like at some point on the road even like the i don't even like even nickelback at some point was doing <laughs> art for art's sake okay i feel like that's an acceptable target at this point uh i feel like maybe the dark horse album but also forgive me for knowing that <laughs> album name <laughs> i don't know if i can austin <laughs> See, this is something, you know, Derek and I, Derek Peters and I have talked a little bit about this as well. We did an episode. This was actually the second episode of the podcast that we talked about this. But yeah. um, he works in the film, or the not the film, Jesus, the realm of radio. Oh, yeah. And, and radio and podcasts, right? So he does that, you know, some of that professionally as well. And it's always interesting to me to talk to people who are doing some of what they love to do. Yeah. You know, in order to fund their lives, because then it becomes... A higher stakes immediately yeah you know at the same time it always to me is this really careful uh, perhaps not careful to write not, not, not the right word but it here we go it's a really intense negotiation yeah between you know the ego's need to 
like perfect yeah you know right so there there's artistically there's like the pressure to be good or to be great yeah right and it's also whatever the hell that means. whatever the hell that means right there's also the pressure to be good and to be great because you need to be able to be good and be great at what you do in order to fund to fund yourself yeah right and so between those the you know it's a rock and a hard place we're talking about the the straight of Man, I wish I knew my Greek mythology better. You know what I'm talking is it, about? Is it, are you talking uh, straight of Bosporus, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Wow, my dad is a <laughs> my dad teaches Greek and Latin. I um, and I'm ashamed for not knowing I'm, this. I'm, I, I know what you're thinking about. I'm also like thinking of the monsters, and I don't want to say their names because mm. I know I'll mispronounce them. Oh, I, I well, I think we're in the same boat here, yeah. so to speak. But <laughs> oh, what a what a treacherous ship we're on now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, all things considered. Between the pressures to be good for different reasons, yeah. You also, I, I, I don't know about you, but you know, I think speaking generally, we can say you, the 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 earnest pressure to articulate yourself creatively, yeah. that becomes its own need. And yeah. when you drop the pretense of whatever being good means or being great means, you know, for whatever reason you want to be good or be great, yeah. You know, when you drop that pretense and you really just take a close look at what's going on around you, yeah. And you take an intimate you take a, you take an intimate breath and think about what it is you're actually doing. That to me can lead you to a perfect moment of being. Yeah. And from what it sounds like, Drew, the work that you're doing is an expression of that. You know, forgive me if I'm not, you know, I'm not I don't mean to superimpose anything, but it sounds like you love what you do. Oh yeah. Very much so, except when I absolutely hate it. Um, it's the it's that thing. I mean, oh god, I'm about to quote myself, and I apologize. Oh, I love it. But there's a there's a line in Bedlam about um, family, and mm. the the daughter character Lucy says, uh, "There are days when I l- dislike you more than I like you, but I always love you," which is sort of my feeling about art and writing and whatever. There are definitely days where I'm like, "Why did I ever pick up a pencil? Human civilization was a mistake. Can we just all be monkeys, please?" <laughs> and then there are other days where you know things are going really well and it's great, but if I didn't, you know love what I was doing as much as I do, I wouldn't yeah. do it. I would do something else. Right. Um, and it's like, but it is that thing of, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of have a binary, either I love this or I hate this yeah, mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, but I feel like the love is always there. It's just a matter of whether or not I like what I'm doing in a given moment. Mm. Um, which is, you know, and it, sometimes that's hard. That's like very hard to read what you've written. I mean, yeah, oh man, yeah. I don't want to do the math. I have watched <laughs> Bedlam be, you know, read, performed, workshopped, what have you, 80 to 90 times. And like that level of familiarity with my own text yeah. is just gnarly. <laughs> Listening to your own words that many times. And it's like, if I didn't still love these characters and this world and this idea that I have, I would not be able to do that. I would not be able to sit through it. I would just be like, oh man, why did I ever write? I'm going to leave now. But no, I just genuinely enjoy it. And also this particular production is very important because we have... uh, Four, it's a four-person play. We have six actors because we have two understudies. Mm. And all of them are bringing just their humanity and their themselves into the world, into my world, into my 
to my work, which is really, really cool and collaborative to kind of get yeah. to your to your question about space. And while I am a cruel and capricious god, because everything <laughs> that happens in my plays is kind of dark, but um, <laughs> it's really just great to have that shared, like, not even vulnerability is the wrong word, but just to watch someone, someone's humanity just shine through in, in, in the performance or in like the moment. And, you know, obviously we've been in rehearsals, so Mm. we have not been perfect at all times. We miss lines. There are days when we're not feeling it, what have you, but there, every time I watch this cast and this production, there's always at least one, normally more, but at least one moment where me and the director, Lauren, both kind of look at each other and are reminded of like, these people are good. These people are, you know, bringing themselves and being in this space. Mm. And that's like, you know, and that's just like, I, I, I keep, I'm trying to prevent myself from cursing and I'm not entirely sure oh, why. Oh. But, Fuck uh, that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, that's just such a fucking gift yeah. as an artist to see these these people just give themselves to my world and yeah. my work and my words and like to use my language to let their humanity just like radiate forth from from them in performance. It's really like... Shit's powerful, man. Shit's powerful, man. <laughs> and it also is... But, you know, it's such a multidisciplinary thing. Cause yeah, like, yeah. Of course, like, Joseph, our Bedlam, uh, Liz, our Lane, uh, Chase, our Zelaney, uh, Alexis, who's Lucy, like, they're all... Their work is very visible because they're the actors. Right. But even, like, um, uh, Kai, our fight designer, like, walked in and made this incredible moment of visual storytelling through mm. violence. Um, because there there are important moments of violence in the play, and yeah. he he designed it and he told this story, and so like now when I watch that fight, I'm watching what I wrote yeah. performed by Joseph and Chase with Kai and with Lauren, the director, her hand in it, and Kai in it as well. So in this like minute of performance, if that it may be shorter than a minute, there are six artists like there that you can see and you can feel and their energy is in it and it's really like that is really really powerful to me and very cool and that's you know that's sort of the magic of theater and of Mm. also i think it's also a magic shared by like music yeah like live live music of just like the collective coming together the collective creativity and the power of creation like you know, we all have that spark of creativity in us. And then when you get more sparks together, eventually you get a fire. And that's really, really powerful. Mm. Cool. Oh, my God, Drew, you're rocking my world right now, man. <laughs> I lived with um, I lived with a musician, Matt Garvin, uh, yeah. last year. And that's we, we, we hosted a lot of events that were, yeah. you know, open mics and, and house shows, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but one of the things that I absolutely loved about that in being in those spaces and this is this is a little different because it's it's music right? yeah you know and there's there's a real uh present sense of physicality with music yeah. because you're not just listening to it right you're kind of feeling it yeah um but <laughs> i have been to several concerts that i felt in my bones it's it's 
invigorating. Yeah, it's it's thrilling, and and that's one of the things I don't I haven't had too much experience with the theater. My sister was in theater a lot during high school and some of her other you know uh, time as a young person, but she's younger than me. I don't know why I said young person, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know the point of it would be that in in hosting some of those shows and in, in running you know back and forth between different kinds of events and being present in a space where people are performing yeah there is just such a moment where you drop i've used i've used this phrase already but i'm going to use it again you drop all pretense there is nothing yeah. but your bare self and yourselves because you're not just playing by your own on your yeah. own you know there's some really cool times where you have a singular you know a solo artist but you know with a band you have it, it's a coordination it's an orchestra yeah. it's a little it's a little unfolding world that you're a part of that shit is mighty yeah oh 100 dude and it's also that you know i i am one of the things that i really just enjoy about art and about music and going to concerts and rehearsing shows performing shows whatever have you is that like collective plunge into the maw of failure like you invite yourself <laughs> like you hurl yourself into the void and you're like we might get through this together or our ship might go down like a stone right. but it is that you know that's the sort of thing like creativity for me at least creativity is really really lives at the edge of failure mm. of like you have and it, it is that that sense of risk of palpable like this could be awful and that sort of you know the strength of this collective experience of watching people rage against the possibility of failure mm. of just being like we are going to go down and it will be amazing we will go down in a blaze of glory or not at all and it's really cool to see that kind of stuff and to be in that experience because i mean i i've done a, a lot of, of of performance as an immersive um like site-specific stuff horror mm. shows uh, and things that are pretty cool through a company called Birch House, which is the other, like, other world is the company I'm shilling now. Birch House I will be shilling later because I love them and they're great. <laughs> and our director, Lauren, it works with, uh, is the founder, co-founder, I guess. Uh, but they're really good, um, up-and-coming company in Chicago, too. And it's like, as an actor, coming together with a whole bunch of people and being like, we're all nervous our friends are coming, our parents are coming, people we don't know are coming, which is probably the most terrifying of all, but we're just gonna do this. We're gonna tear ourselves open. We are going to perform for these people, and if they don't like us, okay, we'll have done our best. And that's the thing that people can't take away from you. Yeah. And so it's like watching, you know, like, do I think Bedlam is perfect no do i think bedlam is as good as it will be no i can work on that play for 15 years and still not have it be good but like when i watch those actors do what they've done there are moments where it's like but this is probably like this is enough mm. it's it might not be perfect but it is definitely good enough mm. and i feel like there's a lot of a lot of strength in that feeling that yeah. acceptance of you know I'm, and it, it's a personal thing for me and I, I feel like for a lot of people of like struggling with you know the idea that good enough is not good enough because good enough <laughs> is not perfect and it's like you have to be perfect or right. you are nothing yeah. and so there is that you know very powerful feeling of just like oh wait this is good enough yeah and it and it like sure if other people don't like it they can't change the fact that I thought that it was good enough 
right? They can't take that away from me. Absolutely not. Now, this is really interesting because you you talked a lot there about what failure can be, or rather the sense of failure, and, and, and how even as you're performing, you're projecting right into space where you are uncertain of yeah. boundaries, right? Like that's kind of the point. Yeah. Right? You're you're interrupting space in order to present an experience that you are unfolding yourself, right? And it's interesting to think about that in the terms of failure because in my mind what constitutes failure is not so much whether or not it's it is what you expect it to be. It's what failure would be is is you know, a total shutdown is a withholding yeah. of any need to express. You know, I, I've met so many people, you know, quite intimately that are completely alienated from themselves and have no access to yeah. what they need creatively or spiritually. Yeah. Right. And I've been through some of those periods in my life as well. I'm sure everyone has some of that sense in their own lives. But when it comes down to thinking about, you know, creative production, in my mind, what it is to perform is to live in earnest is to project yourself into the space that you are unfolding yourself yeah. the experience unfolding you know i you know i don't know if you disagree or, or if you agree or anything like that but that, that that's my sense of it yeah no i totally agree with you man i also feel like um i don't know i feel like that for me at least part of earnesty part of openness of vulnerability is inviting in the possibility of failure mm, um, mm-hmm. not in not in like the sense of you know I, I'm thinking of it now in like game game theory terms which is like a failed state a failed oh, right. state yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like okay, you okay. can't go from here yeah. like that that I totally agree like that that yeah. complete spiritual <clears throat> shutdown that I feel like is a failure state of a human being right in that series of like alienation <laughs> but I, I'm just thinking more of like you know the minor failures I'm thinking about failure as an action not as a state of being oh. um, which is a very terrifying thought the idea of failure as a state of being right right. but um yeah and so it is a lot of that projection of the self and like the force of personality and i mean i keep talking about otherworld a lot but i just really like these people um but it's like that's one of the things about otherworld that's so great about being in their spaces um i'm actually going to a dinner party with several of them later which is going to be awesome um but it's like that freedom of earnest expression of like hey this is me Mm. i like weird things i write strange plays about robots and read books that are a thousand pages of dudes fighting with swords like that is something that you know in my life people have been like "Eh, why do you do that nerd go away (laughs) but so it is nice to have that sense of i can be earnest and open and vulnerable with these people because sharing i feel like sharing love is far more vulnerable than sharing hatred Mm. like saying i don't like this doesn't invite anything right because even if the other person like whoever you're talking to does like what you're talking about and they're like, oh, but I do. Like, ah, why do you, why are you bashing my thing? But that's the thing. Mm. You have not put yourself into it. You've actually distanced yourself from whatever it is. You've said, I don't like this. I don't want any part of this. Right. Like, it has nothing to do with me. There is no part of me in this. Yeah. But if you love something and you're expressing your love for something, you're saying, hey, this is part of me. This is something that I think about that occupies my thought. A bit of my soul is in this. Mm. And so that is a vulnerable state to be in. Yeah. Because someone yeah. could, you know, disparage it or just not care. 
And that's, you know, apathy and antipathy are pretty similar, actually. That's so interesting. That's fucking right on the fucking nose, dude. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. It's hit me on several levels right now. <laughs> <laughs> I had a class I had a class at DePaul uh, yeah. in the philosophy program on aesthetics. Oh, yeah? It was fascinating. Um, it was with one of my favorite professors. She's just, she's just spectacular. But... Um, one of the points that she talked about in we were reading Friedrich Schiller. Okay. And this was on the aesthetic education of man. Okay. Uh, which is a series of it's epistolary philosophy, so it's a series of letters exchanged. Okay. Right? And one of the things that came up out of the, our study of that was thinking about radical intimacy. How, in thinking about things aesthetically, you can yeah. you can put it you can put certain actions and certain transitions into terms of okay is this violent is this peaceful yeah. you know and you kind of have to go there to the conceptual level in order to analyze art sometimes right I think it's actually necessary to do that in your own life in many different kinds of ways yeah right um, if you want to like really you know work through something but <laughs> step out of yourself for a moment and just analyze it a bit right you know exactly and, and meditate on it but in thinking about radical intimacy in the sense of creative production you know in the nuances that go into creative production it, it becomes a matter in my mind of thinking about how you relate to each other you know as on an interpersonal level yeah but also in in a communal sense because yeah. in it, of course in the theater you're never just you know, interacting with what's going on on stage, you're, you're interacting with the audience. The yeah. audience, it's it's a show. Of course, it's a show, but it's also the people who are seeing are also seen. Yeah. You know. Well, you have you have multiple levels of covenant because you have like mm. the covenant between actor and audience, which is like the sacred tenant of the theater. That is what makes something theater. That there is an right. actor and there is an audience, and everything else is just set dressing. But you also <laughs> have the social contract of like I am going to be in this space with these people mm. and we are going to be we are going to share an experience we are going to share individual experiences yeah which is very i find very cool but i also think is like something that people often find odd mm. because there is a ten i mean the human tendency is to 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 be heard to be a herd animal essentially right, right. to be like you know we've all <laughs> had that experience where we go to a show or, or a movie or a concert or whatever with a couple of people and we all have our individual experiences that then get homogenized. Right. We all kind of mutually agree through discussion or remembrance or whatever that, oh, we all liked this yeah. or, oh, this was cool. Instead of having the just individual experience that then becomes communal. Right. And that's kind of the thing with the theater social contract that's super interesting is that like multiple levels of engagement because like like at the base level you have the audience member interacting with the character but then you have the but you actually have the audience member interacting with the actor who is interacting with the character who is interacting with the text in a greater world in a theater space and it's just levels of connection that keep just radiating outward these concentric mm. circles that mm. have no limit mm -hmm. that there's just so much there and I mean, theater came from ritual. That's where yeah. it started. It is a ritual. And it is like, I mean, I feel like it's one of the like last true forms of magic in this world. Mm. Is that like we are going to sit and be transported somewhere else, hmm. someplace else 
for a time. And obviously that's very true with Otherworld because we often literally go to space in Otherworld shows. <laughs> but, you know, that's true of any, I feel, theatrical event. Yeah. Um, and it can also be true of, 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 of other forms of live performance too because, like, me and my me and my roommate went to go see Godspeed You Black Emperor recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when they played here, I think last Monday actually. Um, and so it was like, but that was a transporting experience. Like that music carried us off somewhere else. But that is a really powerful thing. Yeah. And a feeling, and it's something that I feel like you know, people want, and not even not even from the sake of of escapism necessarily, but like. I feel like there is some something in us, something in our like monkey evolution that made us really appreciate and enjoy that ability to transport yeah. and to go somewhere else, to be somewhere else, to watch things happen. Um, and I mean, it's also, this is another thing that I think about a lot, but theater is also an exercise in empathy. Mm. Which I think is really, and mm. a lot of art is, but especially in theater and especially the theater that I kind of enjoy and create, which is kind of dark and pretty brutal at times. Like if you come to Bedlam, which you should, like things are, <laughs> thing, you might not leave happy. You'll leave changed, but you might not leave happy. Um, and it's like, but that is such a thing that I feel like, especially now with social media and stuff, we yeah. don't exercise empathy as often as we should right um because it is it is a skill it's like a spiritual muscle yeah the ability to look at someone and to recognize their humanity and their experience and to be like okay this connection between us if it was negative or if it was positive is not one isolated moment mm. it is not it there is no such thing we are all in gravities, in orbits, like things are spiraling around, forces are at play in and outside of us that have led us to this moment yeah. of experience. Mm. And so it is, you know, that skill and that feeling to go outside yourself and to go into someone else and to be like, I recognize you, not as an image or an object, but as a human being. And like mm. that sort of radical experience is rare, but it is something that like, good theater tries to do yeah tries to show you like this is a person who has never existed will never exist and even if it is historical fiction or whatever it's not the literal person it's right, right. it's it's an artifice it's a construct but it is like feel for them empathize with them it learns something about yourself through them I mean you think about the Greeks and their whole obsession with catharsis and stuff the yeah. purging of emotions through the experience of emotion Right. And it is that sort of empathy of the theater, which I really, really appreciate. And I think, I, I honestly just think everyone could do with a little bit more empathy in their lives and make the world a bit of a brighter place. Man, you're telling me, dude. Yeah. I, <laughs> this, this is something that comes up in some of the other conversations I've had about specifically the issues of balancing production, at, like art as production and also art as, uh, you know, a conversation you have with yourself spiritually. Yeah. Right. And thinking about the larger context, the global context in which we find ourselves, yeah. which is that we live in the stage of late capitalism. Oh, yeah. We live in a horrifying space as individuals that are extremely complicit in the system, whether or not we're aware of it, and yet also very much resistant to it when we become aware of it. Yeah. Right? And one of the ways in which art flies in the face of that bare functionalism is that you... 
I think, I don't know, I want to hear what you feel about this, but this is how I feel about it, is that when you're pursuing your art, you are resisting the grind of everyone pretending around you that your life is yeah. only the the, the, the minutiae of production. Yeah. Right? It's not even about production. It's It becomes about consumption. Yeah. Right? And so when you're talking about the radical awareness of being in tune with the other you know the conversations that people are having that and the, the whole practice of empathy is c- runs counter to it yeah it, it flows against the stream and that's extremely difficult because you have these social energies that are, are pulling you in certain directions and yet artistically spiritually creatively it, it's so urgent to pursue that yeah it, it's it's a matter of developing those muscles of empathy Never just for artist like like never just artist never I am so sorry here. Sorry. Never just solely for the sake of artistic needs. Yeah. But also for the needs of of justice, of truth, of of expression. Yeah. And what it really comes down to is thinking about who we are as people, as individuals, as animals, as creatures. Yeah. Right? And in my mind, theater speaks to those experiences so closely it just whispers right in the ear yeah you know that's fascinating that's so exciting to think about yeah definitely man i you know we do we are as weeds in a post-capitalist wasteland just like sprouting Mm. up all over the place right um but it is like the idea the tenements of capitalism is sort of an, an an not an annihilation but a dehumanization right it is person as 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 function like worker essentially right. yeah exactly um, a service to the machine as a cog <laughs> that's kind of the goal yeah and so i do agree that art is like the act of creation is an act of rebellion because it is an assertion of the self mm-hmm. um and you know that as we we have documented like the self is sort of the thing that is like ultimately unregulatable uncontrollable Mm. like you know we can make everything amazing we can spread light everywhere like we can just make the world as bright as can be and there will always be some darkness left in the minds and hearts of man like that's Mm. just a fact (laughs) but it's also this thing of like when you're making art when you are opening yourself up and pouring yourself onto a page or onto a stage or onto an instrument or whatever you are viscerally like almost at times eviscerating yourself emotionally spiritually to create what you're saying is not only like i have made this but like look at me and know my worth like recognize that i am a human being and Mm. i cannot be ignored which is a really and i feel like that's a really powerful conversation that's happening now yeah. as we're sort of moving into this very necessary age of accountability mm-hmm. and we're seeing marginalized people um really come into the forefront and i think that that's important because we, we're seeing art coming from groups that have historically been erased mm. and the act of creation of art is an act of saying look at me yeah know that i exist i was here and I will be here. Mm. It's like it's like the it's like Ozymandias. Like look on ye mighty in despair, and then just still there, still there, you know. And it is you can't just erase people like that. Oh, I love that. That's oh my god. There's have you heard of the, the philosopher Giorgio Agamben? No. He continues some of the work that Foucault did with thinking okay. about like you know beyond discourse analysis yeah, yeah. kind of idea, right? Um, 
I studied. I had one of my, my my senior capstone at DePaul was actually a course on Foucault and Agamben. Oh, nice! And what Agamben talks about with you know addressing issues of social organization and and looking closer at the underlying roots and the undertow of how we even come to recognize what is human. Yeah, he talks about this concept of bare life, life that you recognize as life without any intermediaries that you don't need to see it as American yeah. you don't need to see it as another man or a woman or anything beyond that or in yeah. between that you don't need to look at it as though if it you, you don't look at another person and only see their social class yeah. you don't look at another person and only see their race or or or, or difference in any sense yeah. right? The, the concept of bare life is thinking about you're, you're bearing, you know, the concept of bare life is thinking about seeing people for life, the yeah. life they have. And it's not even about having life, it's about the life they are. Yeah. Right? And part of what, you know, the manifestation of being is, and this is for like in a Heideggerian sense, like the manifestation of being is that beings look at other beings and see being, right? You see life. Yeah, you are life, and in looking at life and seeing it as life, that is the manifestation of life. So it's it's really a convoluted. That's just a Heideggerian like little hula hoop there. But <laughs> you know, the point that I want to bring up here is thinking about how you know your experiences in the theater, yeah. your experiences as a writer are not just interrupting the uh, you know functionalism. Of, of, of other priorities and other needs around you, but but also really creating place. Yeah. You are place making. Yeah. And that to me is is just so deeply exciting to hear. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's also interesting like talking about being because I, you know, I have this like weird theory of casting that I always think about. Yeah. Um, and I kind of obliquely hinted at it earlier. I used the words, but I always have thought felt that there are three levels of casting Mm. and it's sort of because casting is a very weird process just in general because you see like you know for bedlam we saw something like 60 people in two days oh man um like for five minutes at a time yeah and we would be like come in show us who you are and then leave right right and so it's it's very weird and it is like there are three there are three general levels you can look at people as um objects which is Mm. the basest and basest in both senses of the word um, of just like what this being can do and that's kind of we've had a lot of scandals in the theater scene recently based out of this like actor as object mentality which is very not good Um, but then the second is image Mm. and so you go above object and you see the exterior the shell of like do you have the right look like and, and I, I've talked to, to a lot of people about this, like when they were casting their shows or whatever, and they were like, oh, I don't know if they have the right look. Mm. And that to me is sort of an immature, you know, <laughs> not immature. That's kind of the wrong word. But it's like it's looking it's missing the forest for the trees. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not necessarily because the third stage and the thing that I like would like to say I do would like to say I do. but don't know, obviously, <laughs> is like you look at someone as a being you yeah. take their energy their presence how they stand how they move the little subtle nuances of voice and thing into account and you look at them not as an object as an image not as a tool Mm. for creation but as a collaborator in the process of creation yeah oh man Um, because you know as, as a writer um 
like as I said before, like my work on Bedlam has been done for a while. I haven't made changes to the script in at least a month. Mm. Um, and so it's like inviting actors in, there is, you know, the potential that they're just effectively puppets. Like I wrote it, Lauren's directing it, just do what we say, do do what we say and, and how we want you to say it and it'll be great. But that is operating that's theater not operating as it was intended in mm-hmm. my mind right. now there are some very famous like avant-garde directors very auteur directors who do that and that's kind of what you get into like I'm, I'm trying to think of one and his name is escaping me but there are some people that like literally sculpt their actors mm. and they're amazing they're fabulous but that's a very different kind of artistic creation and a process and because I am so much more interested in like okay I wrote it Lauren's going to direct it what will Chase bring to the table? Mm. What will this actor bring to the table? What will uh, Joseph bring in? And seeing where their intersections lie and using them and, like, obviously they're not making changes to the script, but inviting them to play. Interpret. And to interpret and to experience and to, like, you know, take moments, make slight changes, do things that maybe I did not intend. Yeah. But like that that's really cool and exciting to have that collaborative process because it's like, you know, this is be- like bedlam and it's a it's an e- ephemeral thing that will never happen again because we will never have this same group of actors right. in this space at this time with this experience. That's just like the nature of the beast. And I think that that's, you know, very cool yeah. to have that totally transient artistic experience because it is this very powerful thing of like, I was here when this happened and yeah. it will never come again. And even like day oh, to day, show wow. to show, performance to performance, everyone gets an individual experience because like, Maybe one day Joseph does one thing and then the next night he does something else. And both audiences will have a different experience yeah. even in minute ways. And I feel like that's really, I just think that's awesome. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so cool. That excites me so much about theater. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not, because I do, I do love film and I would love to work in film, but it's like film is a curated yeah. product. Right, right, right. It's polished, it's finished. Theater is the art of process mm. it's like you rehearse it or whatever but even performance is a process it is not a product i don't think theater makes products honestly maybe like big big broadway musicals would be like the product form of theater i made air quotes you can't see because it's a podcast <laughs> product was in air quotes there um but uh yeah but so like theater is the art of process and i just really think that's cool yeah because i i really i really enjoy the process of creation and like hearing about other people's processes and things like that and i feel like it's something that as artists we're not really encouraged to do and may actually be discouraged from doing yes i completely agree about that that to me is one of the founding principles on which we have been working with Motley is thinking about artists working for and with artists. Yeah. You know, creating spaces together and having that be an unfolding conversation. Yeah. A burgeoning opportunity full of different kinds of opportunities. 
So as a big part of that, Drew, I just really want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, man. This was really fun. This is this is exhilarating, you know. Um, and and just for everyone listening, can you can you give us a couple more details on what's going on with like Bedlam and just kind of reiterate some of those things? Yeah. So Bedlam uh, again is at Knox Arca Theater on Ravenswood uh, at Irving and Ravenswood. It's right off the Brown Line. It's very easy to get there. Um, and it will be uh, running for basically all of April and into May. Um, it op- the press opening, the preview performance is on the 5th. Um, actual opening is the 6th of April. And then it runs through the 13th, I believe, of May with the possibility of getting extended to mm. that next weekend. So possibly extended to the 20th. Uh, those are like the hard, the gritty details. Again, um, produced by Otherworld Theater um, uh, and written by me, D. Matthew Byer. Uh, and then directed by Lauren Nicole Fields, who is a very good friend of mine and a wonderful, wonderful theater artist who does immersive theater through Birch House, oh, which yeah, is yeah, another yeah. company to check out if you're interested in like up and coming cool stuff in Chicago. Um, full title of the play is Down the Rocky Road and All the Way to Bedlam, which I will always say the full thing because no one else does because it's a lot of words. Um, yeah, so tickets are like uh, pay what you can, suggested donation is $20. Um, and it's on, I think, Eventbrite. It's all over Facebook, um, so it's pretty easy to find. And we have some Twitter links, too. So it's on social media. Uh, we, they're just sick posters um, that we have that are going up around places of, like, Chase's distorted face with this monologue that's one of the parts of the play, like, in glitchy text. And it's really cool. Tiffany made it, and it's great. Um, and then, of course, I need, I should give shout-outs to our, my actors because I, I <laughs> mentioned them so much, and I really like them, and then I haven't used their names. So... Uh, Chase is playing Zelaney. I don't know how to say Chase's last name, so I'm not going to try. Um, <laughs> Joseph Stevenson is playing Thomas Oliver Bedlam. Uh, mm. Tomo Bedlam, yes, his name is a pun. Um, then Liz McDougald is playing Lane, and Alexis Rice is playing Lucy. I think I just said her last name right. If I didn't, I apologize, Alexis. I didn't try Chase's, and I tried yours, and that might have been a mistake. Uh, and then uh, Jorge Bolanos is our Bedlam understudy, mm. um, and Jess, Jessica Goforth is our Lane understudy. So that is our creative team, um, and we have... Wonderful designers, uh, Kai Young, our violence designer, and then um, Emily Boyd is our set designer. Uh, David is our lighting designer, and I forgot his last name. I'm sorry, David. Um, and then we have, and Sarah uh, is doing sound. I, I met these people like last night, and I forgot. I'm forgetting their last. I don't think I ever knew their last names, so I'm not forgetting them. But uh, yeah, Stephanie is doing our costume and props. Really cool, really cool, weird stuff because it's all cyberpunk and gritty and dark and cool. Um, yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really it's gonna be really great. It's gonna be cool. Um, it might punch you in the soul, but like I make no apologies. Lauren called it tight and loud, and I called it my God, what have I done? I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's great, man. I am so goddamn excited to see it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Austin. This was this was great. I well, the first to many, am I right? Yeah, definitely. Drew is just a goddamn delight. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, first of all, thank you to him and thank you to everybody else who makes this podcast possible. Uh, Derek Peters, Kelly Cunningham, and the rest of the Motley staff, Jen Lawhead, Evan Peters, Erica Gangware, everyone who's already come on the show. Huge thank you to each of you. 
the show is not possible without those who come on the show and, and really give it a chance to sit down and talk through these things together. But more importantly, perhaps, I also want to extend an enormous thank you to everybody who's listening. It means a lot to me to have these kinds of opportunities to be working and to have some sense of, of connection with the people who are out there and, and listening to these kinds of things. So please get in touch if you're a fan and, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up a little bit. So thank you. That's all I need to say, really. Thank you. Going forward, we're going to continue on the weekly release schedule. We've got some really cool episodes coming up shortly and some very cool events coming up in April for Motley, uh, as well as in May. So more word on that soon. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, We usually post about stuff on on Facebook, on the Facebook page for the Soundboard Podcast. Uh, I'm hoping to figure out what the fuck Twitter is soon. So (laughs) we'll... (laughs) We'll have some word on that later, but in the meantime, you can catch us on those other sites. You've been listening to the Soundboard Podcast. This has been a Motley Podcast production. Visit MotleyMag.net for more that makes you think, feel, and laugh.